if I give you a Ferrari and I put the keys to your Ferrari in my pocket and I go to my house, awesome, you own a Ferrari. You can sit on it. You can look at it. You can't do anything fun with it, though. If you're making testosterone, if you're making thyroid, if you're making insulin, and you don't have the cofactors, the keys to turn them on, it kind of doesn't matter that you're making them. They'll work like a Volkswagen instead of a Ferrari. So we want to make sure that we have zinc as a key for testosterone. Selenium is a key for your thyroid. Chromium is a key for your, eye, for your insulin. We want to make sure that we have all our cofactors. So making sure you have the cofactors. Can you get in your daily diet? Yep. The problem is nobody eats enough variety to get everything they need. Welcome back to Diary of an Empath. So today's episode is going to be a little different from the norm, but I think that this subject is so important and it's something that I personally go through and it's something that affects me on a daily basis and that I've struggled with over the years. And that is my hormones. I think we all go through hormonal issues, but when do we know if it's hormones versus mental health or versus other things in our lives? So today's guest is a holistic wellness and hormone replacement therapy expert. He is a physician's assistant. Please welcome my next guest, Tim Anderson. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Hey, thanks, Chris, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've, I've known Tim for quite a while. He actually used to be my provider and helped me with so much in my life when it came to my own hormone treatment. And he's no longer my provider, unfortunately, but he is such a wealth of knowledge. So I just wanted to bring him on today's episode so you guys can get the same knowledge that I've gotten because I know that a lot of listeners out there are probably struggling with some of these issues and may not even realize it. So let's start out with what are the basic functions of hormones? What do they do? What's their role? What are they? So hormones really control everything. Hormones are produced in various glands throughout our body. They control diet. They control insulin. They control testosterone. They're essentially chemical messengers that are sent throughout our whole body. Um, they are affected by age. I mean, there's so many things that affect hormones. It's, it is so challenging to, you know, give a one sentence answer. They affect everybody and everybody's stress, lack of sleep. Everything affects hormones. And it's amazing if you find somebody and they are low and you treat them, the changes in their lives. It's just, it's crazy. And what I find interesting about hormone and, and the more, the more research that I've done with hormones, especially because I've gone through that myself is just the roles that they play. And oftentimes I know in my past, I thought, well, maybe I'm just depressed. Maybe I'm just stressed out. And it's, it's such an interesting correlation sometimes with what stress can do with hormones, what hormones can do with other parts of the body, how they can affect our mental health, how it can mimic different things. So let's maybe start out with stress. When someone is stressed out or maybe they're going through a life stressor, divorce, moving, military, oh, wow. all these things that can cause all these stress stressors in our lives, how does that affect hormones? What's the effect of stress on hormones? So what happens with stressors is they affect the hypothalamic pituitary access. And what happens is your body creates a lot of cortisol and cortisol is awesome. It's, a, it, it's helpful at a certain degree and it's harmful beyond that certain degree. The problem is you don't ever have an on-off switch for cortisol. 
And so when you have increased cortisol, it stimulates insulin, it stimulates um, fatty acids in, the gl- in your liver to be the availability of them for the increased need for the energy, for the fight or flight, for the situation that you're experiencing, for the trauma, for the military action, for you know, injuries, illnesses, anything that you're going through. The problem is once they are overstimulated, then you have issues and you have a disconnect between your endocrine system and your nervous system. And everything is then on all the time, like your skeletal system. Everything is tense. Muscles are tense. You can have headaches. You can have migraines. You can have injuries. Everything's just always tense. Um, Cardiovascularly, you can have increase in blood pressure. You can have heart attacks because your vessels get real tight in your respiratory system. You have airways that get real tight because, you know, they, they, they just occlude. So you have increase in your work of breathing. You have rapid breathing. People will have a sensation of panic attacks. Now, most people are fine with those, but if you have an underlying medical condition, now all of a sudden you're going to have issues. So what I'm hearing is, so, so cortisol can be good and it can be bad. Absolutely. So let's, so let's say you're in a situation where maybe a car is coming at you or you're about to get into a fight, or maybe you're in the military and you're deployed and you're in a fight or flight situation. So in those situations, that cortisol is a good thing because it can it can get you up and it can get you moving. Yes, right. It, it gives you the energy. It gives you the mental clarity. It gives you what you need to get through that emergent situation. The problem is if you don't turn it off mm-hmm. and you're under constant stress and you're under constant deployment in the military, or if you're um, you're diabetic and you're not having your insulin controlled and your blood sugars are high and your body's always under stress, because remember. Stress just isn't just internal, it's Mm -hmm. external stressors too. And so I always like to remind people of that. They're like, oh, well, my job is good. Yeah, but your blood pressure is high. Yeah, but your sugars are out of control. So your cortisol levels are still raging on the inside. The fire is getting hot, 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 and you have to calm that down. So it's that long-term constant cortisol levels that are increased that is where the danger zone is. That's and, exactly and what happens that. when that cortisone level increases? What are the long-term effects of uh, of that levels of the cortisone levels being increased? Is there long-term effects with diseases? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens is you can get what's called adrenal fatigue. And the, uh, the, so cortisol is produced in your adrenal glands. The adrenal glands sit on the top of your kidneys, the real small glands. And when they're stimulated to produce, the problem is over time, you can have burnout, adrenal fatigue, adrenal insufficiency. There's a number of different terms. There's some questions with traditional medical, um, Western medicine, whether there is a true definition of adrenal fatigue. It's a constellation of symptoms. Essentially, your adrenals aren't functioning enough to give you the energy that you need to get through your day. That's really the kind of the long and short definition. So long-term, you can have diabetes, you can have strokes, you can have heart attacks, you have um, neurologic impairment, you can have thyroid issues. I mean, there's a ton of different things that happen when you have cortisol because your body is just in chaos. Your body likes homeostasis. It likes balance. When your cortisol is off, your balance is off. So is the cortisol affecting the adrenals or is the adrenals affecting the cortisol or is it just kind of like a loop? So it is a loop, but the adrenals produce the cortisol. And what happens is you have so much cortisol production or really you are 
tuning up, you're stepping on the gas, the engine of your adrenals are working so fast, so hard, over time, they just burn out. And so what happens when they burn out? So what does adrenal fatigue look like? So adrenal fatigue, so essentially, the way I relate it to my patients, and, you know, labs are important, but symptoms, all of this is about symptom and symptom resolution. So adrenal fatigue, essentially, if you wake up in the morning, and you're fine, you're good, you know, maybe, and I like to use the energy scale of one to 10, where 10 is awesome energy, one is not so good energy. And you're a six or a seven in the morning, you're okay, you're fine, you can make the day, get up, do what you need to do. But by the afternoon, you're a two or a three, you need a nap, you're depleted. To me, that's adrenal fatigue. I don't even need a lab. I know your body isn't able to support your body through the whole day. And so that's a classic. What's going to happen is you don't have enough energy, enough fuel to get through the day. You run out of gas. So it's so interesting because what I'm hearing is that stressors can be good. It can, cortisol can be a good thing in in short spurts. But when it's like this constant long-term effect and you're constantly having these increases in cortisol amounts that it can then affect the adrenals. The adrenals can become burned out. And then these effects on the adrenal, it's like a loop. It's like a domino effect. And then it affects everything else in the body. So what about when we age? How does that affect us when we're young? Can we can we go through a little bit more cortisol increases and some adrenal fatigue when we're younger compared to when we're older? Does that change as we get older? What happens to hormones as we age? So the so that's a two questions. So right. you know the the hormones and adrenals are kind of separate issues. So now so they used to look back and we didn't really talk about trauma, young trauma. We didn't talk about um, you know child abuse. We didn't talk about spousal abuse. We didn't talk about you know, maybe coming from an environment where you were having to have a job as a young kid and go to school and you were having a lot of stressors early and, you know, so trauma type of things that have happened. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more studies being looked at and looking at trauma as kind of being impactful on PTSD, depression, anxiety, adrenal fatigue late, because again, those traumas, those events were super stressful. And if you, it's not just one event, it's usually multiple events over time. They can be really small, they can be frequent, they can be big, a couple of big events, loss of a spouse, loss of a family member, you know, car wrecks, you know, anything that causes adrenal fatigue. So now that we're starting to kind of look at some of those things in traditional medicine, in holistic medicine, and we're treating those things early, we're looking at that trauma piece. We're starting to, you know, see some of those reasons why people who are in adrenal fatigue that maybe we wouldn't expect to be, you know, their jobs aren't so bad, they're, you know, they have great marriages, but maybe they had significant events as a child, significant events as a teenager that just kind of already were depleting them. And then over time, you just get more depleted. And that's really what it is. So yes, as you're younger, you can handle a little bit more for sure. Absolutely you recover, you rebound. The problem is, you know, when we're in our 20s, when we're in our 30s, we're going out all night, we're getting two hours of sleep, mm-hmm. we're running ourselves at max capacity. And over time, that takes a toll. And so we have to get younger people to realize and take a look at themselves and protect themselves. And that's what this is all about. It's about protecting yourself when you're younger. Um, 
As we age, everything diminishes. And that sucks. Everything. <laughs> it does suck. <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> Hormones diminish. Cortisol diminishes. Thyroid diminishes. You know, um, the, the products that break down our food diminish. Um, everything diminishes. And so this is where you have to really be looking and you have to take care of yourself and you have to, you know, be getting good sleep and you have to get morning sun and you have to, you know, make sure you're hydrating. Use the word no. I empower my people. Use the word no in your vocabulary. People will abuse you. People will use you and step all over you and they won't stop until they're done with you. We have to get in front of that. We have to protect ourselves. And that's huge. That is amazing point. So there's a couple of things that you said that really stood out for me. First of all, learning how to say no, because as empaths and, you know, I'm an empath and I always love to help people. But as I got older, I had to realize like, okay, nope, I have to keep my boundaries and I have to know that right now I'm at my limit and I'm to the point where I cannot help you unless I help myself. So having boundaries is, is it's good to be selfish. I've said on this show before, being selfish is the best gift you can give to others. Because if you're your best self, if you fill your own cup, you can fill the cups of others. But if you're constantly doing for other people, your cup is empty or your cup is half full and you can't be your best self, the best mother, the best husband, the best wife, the best friend or whatever that is. Another thing that you said that really stood out to me reminded me when I was in the Marine Corps. And I know some of you listening are still active or maybe you served as well. And, you know, we suck it up. We deal with it. We go until the mission is done. And I remember being 21, 22, and we would go to a club. It was like three for one drinks at Alexander's. I remember it'd be on a Thursday night. We'd have a Friday night battalion run and our battalion commander is like, I know some of you guys are still drunk. I know some of y'all are still coming back, just coming back fresh from Alexander's. And we would do a five, six mile run still drunk from, you know, just a couple hours before. And then we wouldn't eat lunch until, you know, we wouldn't eat anything until it was lunch or dinner time. And this was like a repetitive thing. And I look back at that. I'm like, how did I do that? How did I function? I could never do that right now. But it almost yep. sounds like the body doesn't quite know when to turn that off. So if you're abusing that for so long and the adrenals are just in like adrenal fatigue and your cortisol levels are constantly stressed, it's almost like, well, how does the body know when to regulate? It doesn't. It, right. it loses that ability. That's, right. that's, that's the problem with the chronic piece of it mm -hmm. is your body forgets to turn itself off. Mm -hmm. And so this is where we talk about protection. And, you know, when you mentioned... That, you know, I, I tell my, especially my female patients, I'm like, you cannot be a good mom to your kids. You cannot be a good wife to your husband. You cannot be a good employee to your work. Although I say work, I don't care about work. Your focus needs to be your family. And that is your focus. I said, your work was there before you got there. Your work will be there after you leave there. Your work is one of those people you have to use the word no on because boundaries, you have to create them. And so I tell them, you cannot be the best person you're trying to be to your people unless you're good to yourself. And, and, and so that's something that I impart upon them. And I tell my patients all the time, yeah, I do a lab review. Yeah, I, I prescribe medications, things like that. Half of what I do, honestly, is life coachy stuff with my people. I keep, I'm a taskmaster. Right. I keep them on task. 
I ask about your diet. You remember when we've had oh, conversations? Yeah. You kept me how's, on it. How's how's your how's diet? Your sex life. How's your sleep? How's your sleep? Are you saying no? What's happening? Lack and of again, sex life every time, be, but <laughs> because if you're because if you're not, I'm not. I don't want to be the traditional person where you just come rolling in and we look at some labs. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed. You don't feel any different. Okay, cool. Let me run your insurance card and I'll see you in six months. That's not the purpose. We we're different. We're we practice different. We want our, our patients are different. The things that I've heard over the last, I've been a PA for 18 years, but I've been doing this field for about the last eight. It's amazing the changes that happen in people when they buy in mm-hmm. the changes that happen. And I've, I noticed a difference between Eastern traditional medicine and Western medicine. And it really is a difference. And I really don't even know how to verbalize or conceptualize what those differences are. But it just feels like we're behind when it comes to how we treat patients. Because even let's, let's just even look at the thyroid. When we look at thyroid, somebody can be, you know, really feeling just like total shit. And their labs are normal, but they're not optimal. So I know for me, I've had thyroid issues for years, and I would always be in the normal range. But I felt like crap. And in the moment that I started the thyroid medications that I needed, I felt so much better. And so it's almost like we just put everybody on a scale. Well, if you're between this number and this number, you don't, there's nothing wrong with your thyroid. But yes, we're we're humans and we're, everything is subjective. They don't look at symptomology. So what are your thoughts on on that? And and I really want to go into detail about the thyroid. So, so I was that person Mm -hmm. for the first 10 years, I practiced traditional medicine. What you just said about the normals, that was what I did. That was what I was taught. Everybody's in a normal range, and that's where they're supposed to be. And if they're in that range, you don't touch anything, be it thyroid, be it testosterone. Again, I don't care what, what it is so much. If they're in the normal range, they're in the normal range, and they're good. Well, my patients, I'd put them on thyroid medication, T4. We'll talk about the meds and, and treatment options in a second. Um, I put them on T4 medications, and they're like, oh, I don't feel any better. Well, your numbers look better but I'll feel better. Okay. Here's an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. I was that guy. Well, then I went to Western medicine or I went to holistic. I went to hormone replacement. I got trained by some experts. I happened to be connected with some really, really smart people when I got into this field. And I learned, oh, wait a minute. It's not about the numbers. It's about the symptoms. And you better start talking about the symptoms. Kind of numbers be damned, sort of. And so that's what I started doing. And how, how, what's going on? Again, purpose of thyroid, energy, metabolism, less cloudy, foggy thinking, better hot, cold intolerance, better hair, skin, and nails, activates testosterone, less depression. I've had so many patients who have been just like you, who their numbers are normal, 2.2 to 4.4, 4.6, again, you know, different labs, different ranges. Well, 10th to 90th percentile is considered normal. Well, that's not normal. What's normal is whatever level you are at, where do you feel good? If you're at 3.2 and you tell me, I feel awesome. Energy is awesome. Mental clarity, awesome. Everything's awesome. All right, cool. You're 3.2. Your body's happy. Why don't I get to change your thyroid? If you're 3.2 and you're telling me, I have hot, cold intolerance. I'm fat. My skin sucks. My energy sucks. All right, you're probably symptomatic. That 3.2 is not normal for you. Why wouldn't I run you up the scale a little bit, increase the speed of your thyroid, 
how do you feel? Well, I know I feel better <coughs> because I dealt with that exact issue yep. was being in the normal range. And it wasn't until I, I'm like, I can't deal with this anymore. I need some other help. I can't deal with the physicians that I'm currently dealing with because I feel like they're not doing anything. They're not understanding me. I know there's something wrong with me. And then when we started looking at the symptomology of what I was going through and the symptoms and, and, you know, even, okay, well, how are your stressors doing? How is your adrenals doing? How, how, yep. how are they supporting the thyroid? So for those that are listening that maybe don't understand the function of the thyroid, what is the role of the thyroid? What does it control? What does it do? So the thyroid is really your master gland. I mean, it sits at the base of the neck. It's a butterfly-shaped gland. And you can have too low a thyroid hypothyroidism, or you can have hyperthyroidism. And if your thyroid is going too fast, hyperthyroidism, this is usually, we, we find it in labs, we'll run ultrasounds, things like that. You'll have tachycardia, you'll have un tried weight loss. You know, you're not trying to lose weight and you're just losing weight. You'll have anxiety, you'll have heart palpitations, things like that. And usually you go to endocrinology, there's medications they can give you. Sometimes they have to do a radioactive iodine to kind of make part of your thyroid slow down. But we look, we make sure there's no non-cancerous um, nodules. Again, we look for things like that. Um, hypothyroidism, that's more common. Um, Everybody talks about it being in women. Men absolutely have low thyroid. And so for low thyroid, you know, those symptoms, you know, hot, cold intolerance, hair, skin, nails, metabolism, energy, constipation, activates testosterone, menstrual cycles can be wonky if your thyroid's off. And so the thyroid, what happens is the brain sends a signal to the thyroid that wants it to produce T4. It's a medication. It's an inactive form of thyroid. The T4 has to convert to T3. Now, a lot of females are put on levothyroxine. They're put on um, Synthroid, medications like that. Those are real common medications, um, prescription traditional medications, CVS, Walgreens, wherever you go. And the problem is if those don't convert to T3, you can't feel better because T4 is an inactive form of thyroid. And that's what was happening mm -hmm. with you. Yes. And so that T4 to T3 is degraded by toxins. It's degraded by age. It's a genetic predisposition. Maybe your genes never worked well. Maybe you don't have enough iodine in your system. It's a cofactor to turn that on. Maybe you don't have enough selenium. It's another cofactor to turn on that T4 to T3 conversion. If you don't turn convert to T3, it does not matter what dose I put you on. So what happened, or what I did my first 10 years, I put on my levothyroxine. I'd see you back in six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever, get another set of labs. And your TSH would be lower, your T4 would be better. And I'd be like, oh, your numbers are great. How do you feel? Like crap still. Mm -hmm. Nothing's changed. And I'd be like, uh, okay, here's an antidepressant. Well, then I went to the quote unquote dark side because all my friends who did traditional medicine are like, you're going to do hormones? They're like, you're crazy. That stuff's not going to last. You know, you'll be back in traditional medicine. I've seen so much better, different improvement outcomes in my patients over the last eight years than I have in the first 10 years. It is absolutely crazy. And it's all because I'm looking at symptoms now and I'm not looking at numbers. Quality of life is better. Quality. And I went through that same situation where I wasn't converting my T4 to T3. And why is it that so many providers are hesitant to prescribe what we would call what T3 is, Cytomel, I think is the name <laughs> brand of it. Why are so many 
providers so scared to prescribe active T3? Is there a reason why? I feel like it's like a fight. You have like the East against the West, like, no, we're going to do this. And the, you know, the East is like, no, we're not going to do this. You know, why is there such a difference of opinion or theories or, you know, what is it? Cause I, I would think if the, if the symptoms are, are improved and the labs are there, then the data would show itself. So what's the problem? So it's training. Um, when I was trained, that's exactly what I was trained. I was trained to look at the numbers and I was told T3 is evil essentially. And T3 is only touched by endocrinology, period, end of the discussion. Do not touch T3. If you do, you're going to hurt the heart. And so I didn't. And if somebody had thyroid issues and they weren't converting, I sent everybody to endocrinology. When I came and started doing hormones and actually went to conferences and I was trained and I saw, oh, you can look at it. And it doesn't have to necessarily be Cytomel. Um, there is a combination medication called NP thyroid. Armor thyroid's another one, although it's my le- less favorite. Um, those are combination T4, T3 medications. So somebody can take kind of both sides of that in one, where levothyroxine, yeah, if you're on levothyroxine, you're doing well on it. I will just add Cytomel to you. And it's a titration. It's how much do you need to feel better? I have people that feel better on one tab. It's a five microgram. I have a, they'll take one in the morning with their levothyroxine. Energy's on point. They're amazing. Everything's killing it. They don't change. Mm -hmm. I have people that need more than that. Again, I give you a couple, two, three. Then we have a conversation. How do you feel? Do you have any side effects? Nope. Okay. Anything better? Uh, Maybe a little bit better. I'm still not where I want to be. Then maybe we run you up a little higher. Now, one of the things I will caution anybody who's on thyroid, and I find this all the time with my patients, nobody in traditional medicine talks about magnesium and the importance of magnesium and thyroid. Thyroid is imperative to be used with, magnesium is imperative to use with thyroid. And so what happens is magnesium is used in every cell process and everyone's borderline deficient. Magnesium helps with anxiety, stress, sleep, vascular stability, smooth muscle relaxation helps with um, cardiac rhythms, helps with nerve conduction, helps your bowels. You cannot hurt yourself on magnesium. If you t- take too much magnesium, your bowels will get too loose. That's your side effect. You'll know. And you'll know. You'll That's know. it. <laughs> you'll and so, know. And so, and I tell my patients, I run you up until you're almost too loose and then back up on tap. But if you don't take magnesium with thyroid and you become magnesium deficient, because remember, what is thyroid doing? It's turning your system on. It's turning your cells to function and work. And since magnesium is used in every cell process, if you become deficient, you're going to get anxiety, heart palpitations, jitteriness. Now, usually what all my patients will call like, oh, doc, you know, I'm having, you know, some anxiety. I'm having some heart palpitations. My first question, where's your magnesium at? Oh, I ran out a couple of weeks ago. How'd you feel a couple of weeks ago? I felt awesome. Get your magnesium back on. And usually they'll call me a couple of days up. Oh, that's exactly what it was. And so again, you know, you just know what you can't hurt yourself. Yes. Can you get your thyroid too high? Absolutely. That's why I put roadblocks on you. I put measurements. Yes. We draw blood work. We draw labs. This is not done blindly. This is about safety and this is all about safety, but it's about getting you to feel better. And everybody needs a different dose to feel better. It's very subjective. And I know for me, magnesium was a must and I'm still always having issues with keeping on point with my magnesium. 
But I can say that when I take my magnesium, I always feel better. I always have better bowel movements. I always have more energy. And most of us are magnesium deficient anyway. So it's something that you should be taking and you can get it over the counter. But if you are having diarrhea or you can't make it to the bathroom or you're running to the bathroom, definitely cut back is what I'm hearing. You don't want to take too much of it. And it's using the right type. Um, Magnesium glycinate or magnesium oxalate is the brand that I like. Everybody runs for magnesium citrate, and that's the brand that most people hear about. Magnesium citrate is what brand that everybody goes and gets when they have constipation. The problem is when you take magnesium citrate, you can never increase the dose enough to get the other things that I'm looking for, the anxiety, the stress, the vascular stability, all those other good pieces. You can never get the dose high enough to affect those before your bowels get too loose. And so that's why any magnesium citrate, I just avoid it. Okay, good to know. And one thing that you said that I, I I thought was really interesting is how the effects of hormones and thyroid can almost mimic depression or mimic mental health symptoms. And that's one thing that I always tell my clients if they're telling me, oh, I'm depressed and I'm this, well, have you ever had a hormone panel run? Have you ever yeah. had a, have your thyroid checked? And not just one part of your thyroid, have you had a full thyroid panel done? And so what is the significance with how thyroid or even hormones can mimic mental health symptoms? So absolutely. Um, Hormones are so important. Again, they're they're messengers, they're carriers. You know, if your body's been under crazy stress, you're going to disrupt your ability, you know, your nerve, you're going to disrupt your brain. If you have inflammation, you're going to disrupt your thyroid. Um, progesterone, anxiety, stress, sleep, estrogen, depression, um, sleep, testosterone, depression, libido. Um, there's so many things, thyroid, weight gain, you know, those, those all affect your body. If you're, you know, diet, if, if you're not having the right diet and then your insulin is going up and you have insulin resistance, which is a hormone, and you're, you're all of a sudden you're putting on weight. You're, you're not going to feel as good. So absolutely, you know, hormones mimic depression. It's because over time, usually it's the stress and or the age piece. Remember, as we age, things diminish. You know, for my women, the first hormone that goes down is progesterone. Age 30, 35, I call them my soccer moms. They I'm have not a, a soccer mom <laughs> yet. <laughs> they, they have kid, one, two, or three. They have a husband. Most of the time they have a job and they're carting their kids ever. That's what I call my soccer moms. By age 30, 35, they're going to their primary care. They're saying, I'm not sleeping well. They're usually put on some sort of sleep medication, Ambien, something like that. Or they're having depression or anxiety and they're put on a Xanax or Alexapro or something like that. Most of the time, if you just look at their stress levels and because progesterone is the first hormone that kind of goes down, progesterone also converts to cortisol. So remember, hormones feed each other. And so testosterone, progesterone, DHEA, pregnenolone, they all support the production of cortisol. So when your body's under crazy stress, even if you're producing some progesterone and you shunt it or steal it, so to speak, to make more cortisol because you're under stress, now all of a sudden you don't have enough progesterone left to help keep you asleep, to keep your anxiety controlled. And so instead of the Ambien, instead of the Lexapro, put them on a little bioidentical progesterone, 
I see amazing results. You need to figure out what the root is. It's, it's interesting because I almost picture hormones like standing in a line. And if you steal from the back end, then the front end is going to be, you know, taken from. And it's like, Absolutely. so if this is affected, well, then this hormone and this hormone is affected because now it has to steal from this hormone. Well, if you have too much testosterone, now it's going to convert into estrogen. And now you might have these symptoms when really the root might be the testosterone or Correct. the, you know, the, the DHEA. It's, it's so interesting how they're all interconnected. And if one is low, it steals from the other. And but the root can be something completely different. And we live in a society that mental health is just like, well, here, just take this. And I know the VA has come a long way. I'm I'm not going to, you know, not talking bad about the VA, but as a veteran, I have just as a patient, as someone who has gone through the military and somebody who has gotten seen with the VA, they have made tremendous progress with instead of just feeding medication, they're looking at more holistic approaches. Yes. However, I think as a society and the way that we treat mental health, we're still not there yet because it's very few mental health providers. And I can say as a mental health provider, we didn't talk about hormones in school. And I'm shocked that we didn't because the more that I learn about this and the more that I see that it can actually be hormones that are affecting mental health symptoms, I'm mm-hmm. surprised that as a mental health provider, this was not part of my curriculum. I'm not a I'm not a, a doctor, but I am a provider who diagnoses. I am a provider who treats. I am a provider who does psychotherapy. So if I'm doing these and I'm recommending medications to the psychiatrist or if I'm recommending treatment to whomever, why aren't we educated on the effects of hormones and how it can mimic mental health symptoms? I I don't understand that. And that's a great question. I think that the curriculum is picking up speed in that direction. I went to PA school 18 years ago we didn't really learn a lot about that either, about hormones and depression and, you know, give the medication. You also have to remember some of the Western medicine. What's the purpose of Western medicine? Western medicine isn't or or can be accused of not necessarily being there to make you better. If Western medicine makes you better and they don't have you on a medication, you don't show up to the clinic. You don't use the copay. You don't use pharmacy. You don't get a test. You don't get a procedure. And they don't make money. In my opinion, Western medicine is a house of cards. It falls in on itself if you're not accessing the symptom, the system. What I do is I try and get you off that. I have people who come off blood pressure meds. I have people who come off Ambien. I have people who come off, not everyone. I have people who come off anti-anxiety medications, antidepressants. They lower their diabetic medications. I mean, it's amazing. Now, is it everybody? No, absolutely. It's not everybody. But if you buy in and you work the whole program, more times than not, we're going to be able to at least take things down. And so remember, the goal is to make you healthy. It's the preventative piece. I'm trying to get in front of potential things in the future. Just because you're genetically predisposed to something, doesn't mean that it has to activate. If we're acidic, our bodies are acidic, acidity is more predisposed to cancers, injuries, illness, inflammation, osteoporosis, pain. If I can make you non-acidic and keep you more alkaline, do you necessarily turn those genes on? Not necessarily. 
And I remember we have this conversation <laughs> and I was like, acidic, what is that? And when I started peeing on acidic sticks, I'm like, wow, I'm very acidic. I had no idea what this meant. This opened up a whole new world for me to really understand how important hormones are and how they affect us. So let's talk about sex. Because I know that there are a lot of people listening right now who are young, who have a low sex drive, who maybe are older and have a low sex drive, men and women. What does that mean when it comes to hormones? How do hormones affect sex in both men and women? So let me kind of start with the brain. So picture a map of the United States. Put a pin a single straight pin in Dallas, Texas. So the straight pin in Dallas, Texas, that's sex for a female. The rest of the U.S. map, that's their family, that's their laundry being done, that's the kids are at home, that's the car payments been made, that's the house is picked up, that's everything else. And so sex is a very low part of a female's brain. And so in, unless everything else is in order, they're going to be off. And so men have to really pay attention to that. And a lot of men. So now let's turn that around. What's the men's brain? Okay. Put a straight pin again in Dallas, Texas. Now Dallas, Texas is the man's part of the brain. That's looking at the organization. That's looking at are the kids at home? Are the bills paid the rest of the U S that's sex for a man. And so our brains are totally wired differently. Very differently. And so, so again, I think that's a very important fact to remember is no, not everybody is on the same wavelength, the same amounts. And so hormones are huge. And one of the bigger hormones, at least for both men and women, is testosterone. Now, everybody knows testosterone is important for energy and libido, sex drive. The problem is it's not just energy and libido. It's focus. It's drive. It's motivation. It's memory. It's less emotional up-down. It's lean muscle mass. It's better sleep. It's, it's anabolic. If you lift anything, you get stronger. Your insulin works better. My diabetics, type 1s and types 2s, I tell them, when they start testosterone, I tell them, you have to check your sugars regularly. And a lot of them end up turning their meds down because insulin is more sensitive. And it's absolutely true. And most of them are like, no, this can't be true. Absolutely true. It has, it's monotherapy for depression. It can help with stronger bones. It's anti-inflammatory. So yes, the energy and the libido piece are huge, important. The day-to-day -day functional basis, the rest of that stuff I talked about, to me, that's so much more important on a day-to-day -day functional basis. That's your job. That's your family. That's interacting with people in the community. You're going to be so much better at that. So for those that are listening, maybe right now, let's say for my women listeners who are struggling with a low sex drive, I think a lot of us have this interpretation that testosterone is only for men, but testosterone is also for women. So Absolutely. how does testosterone affect women? Do we need it to have a good sex drive? Can testosterone improve our sex life? Absolutely. And for me, it's, it's, to me, it's very hilarious. Patients will come see me. They've been to their OBGYN. They've been to their family practice. And they're like, my libido sucks. You know, I, I'm having difficulty with orgasms. You know, I'm having vaginal dryness. And I think my testosterone is low. And they told me it's okay. You're just getting older. That's normal for a female. That makes me absolutely crazy because it's not, it's not normal. 
you have to look at the numbers. You have to get data, but we don't treat numbers. We treat symptoms. There's a range where I want people, but it's not just the total testosterone. There's a hormone called sex hormone binding globulin. It's a protein that floats around in the blood. And unless your provider is checking that, you're not really going to know how much of your body's testosterone is free or bound. The bound testosterone is invisible. It doesn't really do anything for you or to you. Think of it as a passenger in a car, just kind of hanging out, not really doing anything. Free testosterone, that's your worker. That's what really helps you with the orgasms, with the libido, with the brain piece, just desire piece. It can help with vaginal dryness. So absolutely, testosterone is important in women. And I see women's lives change because we're willing to look at that. And we know that it's important. So we treat it. I know for me and just, you know, just sharing a little bit of my personal story. I was in the bodybuilding industry, not, you know, it's something I did on the side. I've talked about this on previous episodes. I have been into fitness for years and years, but I, I did it professionally in terms of like competing for shows for a long time. And my adrenals and my hormones were just completely tanked. I think I had a one or a two for testosterone. And that's when I connected with you shortly after. And I started testosterone um, injections and I want to, you know, and, and Tim can touch base on this, but there's, there's a difference between taking testosterone in the gym, getting it from Chad who got it from China versus when it's prescribed to you because you're, you're not, you're deficient. Big difference here. So we're talking about from a, a prescribed doctor because you're deficient or because your doctor thinks it's in your best interest for your treatment plan. So for me, I, I remember I started with injections and what would probably be normal for someone else because it was a very low dose. I just didn't metabolize it. And my numbers were through the roof. And then you ask, well, how do you feel? Well, I feel good, but I'm, I'm bloated. I'm carrying a lot of water. My voice is getting crackly and my sex drive is through the roof. I did not have a partner at the time, but I remember I'm like, I got, I got to go take care of this at least two, three times a day because <laughs> it was so, I'm like, is this how men feel? Do, is it? I understand what it feels like to be a man for the first time because if this is how it is, no wonder why y'all are always just going crazy. Because I literally, it was bad. And I know we, we were like, we're going to stop or we're going to try a cream. And the right. cream has worked wonderfully for years, but I just didn't metabolize it. But wow, it, it really affected me in so many ways to go from having zero testosterone to being through the roof. Yeah. And, and, and that's why we have different delivery for different people is all with you, you're a slower metabolizer. That's it. You can think of it just like a pain pill. If I gave you one pain pill and all of a sudden you're just knocked out for the whole day, you metabolize it very slowly. That level goes up higher. You're affected by it. Where if I might need <clears throat> two pain pills and I do nothing, I can still go drive a car. Nothing happens to me. I'm a faster metabolizer. It's the same thing with hormones and hormone replacement therapy is this is why it's so individualized. There is no cookie cutter. There is no one dose fits all. There's different delivery systems. You know, there's the creams you have to apply daily. So there's limitations on everything. There's pluses, there's minuses. And the creams, for example, they're a daily application. I usually tell my girls and my guys, put it in the super pubic region, just one to four pumps, and you just apply it. I have one patient recently who called me and says, hey, can I turn my dose down? I'm having um, X-rated dreams. 
Wow. I was like, okay, sure. That's and so, so <laughs> but it was too much for her. Okay. You know, I have, wow. I have one patient who called me. She's like, my husband's a construction worker and I'm, um, Hey, what job site are you at? I'm coming over. And we so it was, get it in right now. <laughs> so it was affecting her day to day life. And again, wow. some patients are like, uh, this is what's happening and I'm cool with that. So don't touch my dose. You know, again, it's just, what do you want? What do you, what do you, what do you, what are you comfortable with? You know, um, there's the creams, there's injections that are weekly, and then there's pellets, which you implant in the gluteal region and the fat and girls get them implanted every three to four months. Guys get them implanted every four to five months. And I've been implanting pellets for over six years. They're awesome. It's, but there's nothing special about any of the options. It's a delivery system. As long as your body absorbs it and metabolizes and we get you to the right number, Again, symptom resolution, whatever that number is, that's the number. But when we get you to the right number, all of a sudden things are magical. Interesting. And I want to touch base also on pregnancy and birth control. How does hormones affect pregnancy or how does pregnancy affect hormones? Because I've given birth to a human. It's been a while, but I remember going through my own postpartum depression, having issues with pregnancy after and then being someone who is on birth control i know that certain birth controls can affect progesterone and certain hormones that are within the body so for those that are listening that might be going through their own issues post-pregnancy or maybe even pregnant right now or birth control what kinds of changes can they expect what's normal versus what's not normal and how can they recoup from uh maybe some of those hormonal changes that they're going through so for the women who are pregnant or postpartum depression, that's a hard one. And there's a lot of studies on it. And there's really no consensus on levels that create the depression versus levels that don't create depression. Um, they think it's more of a sensitivity to the changes in the hormone, where somebody is a little bit more sensitive to the changes versus somebody who's not. I personally think you have to also look at the adrenal component as well, because if somebody is already borderline adrenal fatigue or, or their body is already in chaos or they've had a lot of issues in the past, pregnancy is work on the female body. It causes lots of stress. And so is that enough to kind of tip you over, sort of speak? There was a study done where they talked, they used a um, metabolite of pregnenolone called allopregnol. And what happened is they were kind of getting, look, looking at levels and they were trying to figure out who was more sensitive or what levels created more depression or less depression. And they were getting levels in like the second trimester, third trimester. And they really didn't notice a lot of differences between the, um, the depression in the third trimester levels. But then they went back and they kind of did statistical analysis on the second trimester people. And they noticed that people who had the lower allopregnolol levels were more inclined to have depression afterwards. As those levels rose in the second trimester, based on every one point, there was a decrease of like 10 to 12% in incidence of depression afterwards. There's also some genetic predisposition. So again, the postpartum depression piece, that's a hard one. And, and there is no real... Look at a lab and I know you're going to get it. You're not going to get it. It's more the sensitivity. It's more the protection. 
It's looking at the long-term aspects of it and it's getting in front of it early and it's being aware and it's having providers ask the right questions. You know, don't let, don't let the mom um, get down the road, you know, three months, six months, nine months, and nobody's talked to her about depression. Again, going back to the mental stigma that you said earlier, not a lot of people talk about it. You have to. Absolutely. And you I think to. that's key is talking about it beforehand, yep. hitting it before it happens, especially if there's a history of it. Maybe if you've had prior pregnancies yep. and you've gone through similar things, or if you had a mother who went through your pregnancy or your siblings' pregnancies and experienced postpartum depression, 100% a conversation to be had. And so when we talk about birth control, when we're talking about after the pregnancy, and now maybe somebody wants to go on birth control, what are some of the effects that birth control can have? on pregnancy? And is there anything that we can do to reduce some of those effects? So birth control, birth control is essentially an endocrine disruptor. Birth control interrupts the pathway that sends a signal from the brain to the ovaries that says, hey, produce an egg. And so it affects ovulation. And so that's really what it is. It's a disruptor. And the problem is if they use synthetic estrogens, they use progestins, so they're not progesterone. And those are, those synthetics are not lock and key because hormones, they're lock and key. They're specifically coded, produce structure to go into a specific lock. And that key turns that lock only. Now there's other receptor sites. They float by, they don't go to them because it's not the lock and key. So when um, progestin, for example, there's other locks that it tries to enter when it try, it can't open the door but it tries to open the door so when it's in that door other things that are supposed to get in there now can't and so again it disrupts that process um when you stop um birth control you can have low testosterone levels long term birth control can also disrupt vitamin b6 b12 b9 there's a lot of and, and this isn't everyone you know, not everybody is affected by this. There's some people that'll get on birth control and they'll have depression and they'll have a lot of really bad symptoms. Those are the outliers, the very low percentage. But again, it happens because they are endocrine disruptors. And if you're disrupting progesterone production, if you're disrupting estrogen, again, we already talked about what some of those things do. Well, now if you don't have all those, what happens? And that's so interesting because I've personally had an IUD. This is my third one. I love it. I have endometriosis. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it sucks. It's painful periods. It's um, heavy, heavy flow periods. And um, it's not fun. And IUDs, I don't know why it works. It just does. And it takes away all the symptoms. I have no menstrual cycle. But I have also heard women who have had menstrual cycles, or I'm sorry, they've had IUDs who go through these periods of depression and have had all these terrible experiences with hormones or progesterone or whatever they, they say that they think that it is, do IUDs affect hormones more than a traditional birth control? Less. They affect, um, they affect less. There's the one that I like. Uh, so I like IUDs better because they're less disruptors. There are IUDs that have progesterone on them, um, but there's one that's a copper IUD called Paragard, and it actually is good for 10 years. And so, again, that's going to be the one that probably disrupts your system the least. But again, what, you know, this, this would go back to the individual person. They're having these heavy periods or having these PMSE type of symptoms. Where's their hormones? You know, are, are, there, is, are they having a 
premature um, decrease in their progesterone? Is their thyroid functioning properly? Again, this is where they're putting the blame potentially on the IUD, potentially on the on the um, birth control. But where's your thyroid? Are you at optimal levels? Again, it all goes back because they affect everything. And so it's real hard. You have to not get drawn off sides and get focused and get, oh, it has to be the birth control. Why does it have to be the birth control? Because we're not checking everything else. Right. We'll prescribe birth control, but yet we're not doing six-month labs to make sure everything else is functioning properly. Correct. Yeah. So what about exercise? Because for those that are maybe athletes or competitors, or maybe they're in the bodybuilding industry or do excessive exercise because maybe they're training for something or training for a show, what is normal and what can we expect? How, how do the hormones react to maybe excessive exercise or someone who's an athlete versus someone who's Joe Schmo who maybe only exercises once or twice a week? So exercise, is it important? Absolutely. Can you hurt yourself with exercise? Absolutely. It's a balance and it all goes back to your cortisol levels. What happens when you exercise? You're stressing your body. When you stress your body, what happens? You produce cortisol like we talked earlier. If your body is already not functioning well, then what will happen is you have lots of stress. You're working 50 hours a week. You have three kids. You're already at wit's end, and then you're going to go to hit class, or you're going to go to Orange Theory, or you're going to go run a marathon or a half marathon. Your body is going to be under crazy stress. And so you deplete your battery. Because remember, at night, you recharge your battery. Think of it as your cortisol level, sort of. And your battery should be 100% in the morning. If your battery doesn't have enough fuel, enough energy to get you through the day, your afternoons are going to be a struggle. So I tell my patients, I don't necessarily care so much how much exercise you're doing. How do you tolerate, how does your body tolerate that level of exercise, whatever you're doing? If you're exercising three times a week for an hour a day and you feel a little bit tired, you're like, oh man, I'm a little sore. I felt like I exercised. I can get through the day. Everything's good. Awesome. You can tolerate, you know, an hour, three times a week. Great. If you're doing an hour, three times a week, and after you exercise on those three days, you're on the couch, you need a nap, you can't function, you can't go to work. I'm going to tell you, you're doing more than your body can handle. So I will walk your exercise back. Maybe we go to 30 minutes, three times a day. Maybe depending on your level of fatigue, your level of depletion in the afternoon, I may take you away from exercise. I may say you can walk, you can keep your heart rate under 100, you can do some yoga, you can do some Pilates, and that's it. Maybe in four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, once we have your energy stable through the day and you're able to function again, maybe I give you back a couple of days at 30 minutes. Again, after a couple of weeks or a couple of sessions, how do you tolerate it? Are you back on the couch again? If so, your body's not ready. Don't do it. it yes, exercise is good. Too much exercise is bad. Where is that line? That's the individuality of it. And again, looking at what your baseline cortisol levels are, what your stressors are, how much work, how much sleep, what's your diet. That's the challenging part. There is no one answer that fits all. And so I know that's not a great answer, but you have to look at yourself. And, and you, you, how do you tolerate, how do you function after it? 
It's subjective, and it goes back to that cortisol. Some of it is good, but mm-hmm. long term, it's going to be you know it's good. you're getting into that yellow and that red flag zone, you know where you don't want to be. So let's talk about treatment. So we've talked about hormones, we've talked about how it affects us, long term, short for short term effects. But what do we do when we're in that adrenal fatigue and we're in this zone of feeling depressed, feeling? Like we have clouded, foggy thinking, low sex drive. How do you treat this? We've talked a little bit about hormone replacement therapy, but if you're going to go that route, what can people do? And on the other hand, if someone wants to do it maybe more holistically without going to the meds, what can they do to maybe naturally boost their thyroid or naturally boost their testosterone? So, so I'll kind of go up the scale of that and I'll kind of go with more of the natural aspect and then we'll kind of move into therapeutics um, on how to treat. So more the natural aspects, if I can get you sleeping, if I can get you using the word no, again, it goes back to your stressors. That's going to be your, your first step. You have to control that stress. You have to work on sleep. You have to get seven, eight hours nightly uninterrupted. That's the key. I always ask my patients, I'm hypervigilant. Do you snore? And it doesn't have to be sleep apnea. If you snore, you disrupt your sleep. If you don't get into that restorative sleep, then you don't recharge your battery. I snore. I wear a mouth device. I do not have sleep apnea, but I absolutely feel better when I wear it because I know I'm getting that restorative sleep. Now, my wife has told me I've had my device probably four or five years. She's told me that over the last couple of months. I've started to kind of snore again. So I actually contacted my dentist. I'm like, I think my device is getting loose. It's wearing, I need a new one. And so always, you know, looking at kind of the, 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 the sleep piece is huge because if you don't sleep, recharge, regenerate, rebuild. If you don't sleep, you can't have good energy tomorrow. I don't care what you do. You can't have good energy tomorrow, period. So sleep and energy, that's always my first focus. So decreasing your stress a good quality multivitamin. If I give you a Ferrari and I put the keys to your Ferrari in my pocket and I go to my house, awesome, you own a Ferrari. You can sit on it, you can look at it, can't do anything fun with it though. If you're making testosterone, if you're making thyroid, if you're making insulin and you don't have the cofactors, the keys to turn them on, kind of doesn't matter that you're making them. They'll work like a Volkswagen instead of a Ferrari. So we wanna make sure that we have zinc as a key for testosterone selenium is a key for your thyroid. Chromium is a key for your eye, for your insulin. We want to make sure that we have all our cofactors. So making sure you have the cofactors. Can you get in your daily diet? Yep. The problem is nobody eats enough variety to get everything they need. This is where a good quality multivitamin that doesn't have magnesium stearate in it. That's a key. Magnesium stearate is a, it's essentially a commercial product that manufacturers put on the outside of the pills to make them slide through the machine so they don't stick. The problem is that magnesium stearate decreases the absorption of what's in the capsule by your body by 40 to 60%. And so you want to make sure that you have a a product that is um, non-magnesium stearate. You want to make sure that you're having a high-protein, low-carb diet, keeping your carbohydrates low. When you have too much carbs in your diet, you're going to have insulin you're going to have sugar spikes. As those sugars kind of come down in an hour or two, you're going to have cravings. You're going to want to eat more. You want to make sure you're hydrating 100 to 120 ounces of water a day. You want to put lemon in there to make you more alkaline like we talked about. You want to put some pink Himalayan salt in there. Pink Himalayan salt is metals and minerals to support your adrenals. 
also acts as a natural detoxer. Again, you want to make sure you're supporting yourself. Potentially DHEA, pregnenolone, adaptogens for your adrenals, maybe. Just be careful with those, trying to do them on your own, because you want to make sure you're picking the right ones and you're picking the right doses. And if you have someone who can help you, you're going to have better results, faster results. Remember, your adrenals didn't get broke in three weeks, six weeks, you know, nine months. Your adrenals, this is 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, depending on your age, 40, 50, 60 years. This is long-term stress, external, internal. It's going to take a minute to fix them. And so you have to be patient. You know, you have to buy in. You have to de decrease your exercise if you're depleted in the afternoon. You have to look at that long-term aspect. And then as far as treatment goes, <clears throat> there's a lot of options for treatments. Um, you know, for testosterone, there's creams, there's injections, there's pellets. For progesterone, there's oral is the best caps. Yes, there's a cream. I'm not a huge fan, as huge of a fan of the cream, but I use it sometimes. And then there's estrogens. Um, estrogen, um, a, a patch, a gel, or a pellet. Never oral estrogen ever. Um, I still see a lot of people on oral estrogen, and it makes me crazy because oral estrogen goes to the liver and creates something called estrone. And we have three different types of estrogens in our body. And estrone is implicated in blood clots, cancer, strokes, heart disease. Why do you want more estrone in your system? So again, do things, we want to do things that reduce potential risk. That's what we're looking at. You know, looking at the thyroid, looking for optimal numbers. Again, yes, everything is done via lab values. We draw blood and we do a comprehensive history and we're yet. But again, it doesn't start with the numbers. I take the numbers, I put them upside down on a desk when we first meet. What are your symptoms? How do you feel? Why are you here? What's off, wrong, or different that you're trying to change? And that's where it starts. And what it allows me to do is it allows me to put a context to those numbers. If your energy is a 10, your libido is a 10, I don't care that your testosterone is seven. You don't have symptoms. Why do I care? If you're seven and your libido is a two and your energy is a two and gym sucks and your memory sucks and your sleep sucks, all right, I'm going to argue that seven probably isn't optimal for you. What number do you need? I have a few girls that are running the 400 range on their testosterone. If any of my providers who I know in Western medicine saw that, they'd lose their minds. The problem is they have a very, very high binding protein. And so that 400, most of it's bound and invisible. And if it's bound and invisible, and she's like, do not touch my number. I feel amazing. I don't care that I'm 400. She doesn't have any side effect symptoms and she feels amazing. All right. Why am I going to change her? That's amazing information. And I, I, we could do a two hour podcast on this because you are just a wealth of information. So I want to, before we wrap up, I want everyone to know where to find you. So what are you doing these days? Where can people find you if they want to follow you and maybe reach out to you if they have any questions? Yeah. So, um, so I have an IG account, big Tim Anderson, 23, I am six, five. So you know, it kind of fits, um, on Twitter, I'm testo underscore Tim. Um, my clinic's in Lake Mary, Florida, um, rejuvehealthclinics.com. Um, you can go to our website. You can look at our Google reviews. Um, I'm a big, um, advocate of patient reviews and I have patients who have followed me from other practices. And this is, this is fun. This is, I've been, again, I've been doing this part for eight years. 
you know, most people are like, okay, cool. We got to go to work. I'm like, nope, nope. Cool. Today's a work day because I'm changing lives. I, the stories that I hear, the impact that I've made, um, you know, men and women, you've changed my job. You changed my life. You, you've saved my marriage. I'm doing things I haven't done in five, 10, 15, 20 years. I'm down 10, 20, 30, 50 pounds. Last year, I had one gentleman who was down 50 pounds, felt amazing. I got 16 of his coworkers and friends came to see me because he wasn't necessarily telling. They're all, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, yeah, go see Tim. And we run a different practice. We're accessible. We're not traditional medicine. Um, again, this is, this is it's, it's different. I mean, you, you have to work. You're not just going to come in and get a prescription. You're not going to just come in and get a pill. I'm, I'm going to put you on task. I'm going to change your diet. I'm going to change your stress. There are things that I'm going to request of you because if you just do what I want you to do, you'll feel better, but you're not going to see the results you want. And I know I can speak for that because I've worked with you in, in terms of you being my provider before, and you are just a wealth of knowledge and, and you can tell that you love what you do. So, um, everyone definitely go follow Tim. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to him, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. It's such an honor. I'm so humbled. It's such great information. I know there's people listening right now that are going to be like, I need to go run and go get a hormone panel done today. So Absolutely. again, thank you so much. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review, share it with anyone who you think will benefit from listening or watching this episode. And until next time, see you on the next episode of Diary of an Empath. <laughs>